Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America. One hour down. We still have Three together. So much time we get to spend on this program, and it's amazing how fast it goes by. Thanks for the text messages. I always appreciate those. Joining us in just a little bit, in about a half hour from now, we're going to talk to Dr. Gerald Lamaro, and he's an author, political analyst, called the Notre Dame of political elections. So what does he see for 2020? We're going to ask him that. Dan Valone is going to join us in an hour, U.S. Director of More in Common, where they talk about civility through discussion. You don't get a lot of that anymore. So lots to get to on the show tonight. And, of course, we'll keep things open for you, and we'll take some of your calls, too. Joining us now, a friend of the show, someone that keeps very close tabs on what's going on inside St. Louis County, Tom Sullivan. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Well, there's a lot of public comment going around at this time, and there's also some question about the solicitation of public comment. I'm hoping you can kind of explain why there's just this massive influx of public comment going into the county right now. Well, it started a couple months ago when there's been this big controversy about the restrictions on sports, and that really brought out the protests. And, of course, they started uh, sending in public comments to the county council uh, meetings and, you know, Normally you'd have 30 or 40, and now, we're, now they're having a couple hundred. Well, what happened is is that the people on uh, the other side, uh, meaning the county executive and uh, Lisa Clancy and some of the uh, council members, they decided that they're going to get in the game too. And uh, so they sent out uh, uh, form letters. They had some of the organizations that they work for to, to send in, to send in uh, comments backing backing or opposing some of the bills that are being considered. There's a couple of bills that are on the county council's agenda having to do with uh, the restrictions that the county executive has put on. What the council wants to do is hold them to 15 days, any emergency order to 15 days, and then uh, the county executive has to go to the county council in order to uh, continue. Well, that is something that uh, Sam Page does not want, as you can you can imagine. So that's when they started getting up, trying to get support to, to urge the council to uh, to oppose the vote, to oppose the proposals. And so then on Tuesday, there was a record 2,230 comments submitted to the council. 
Well, that's uh, way beyond uh, anything that's ever been uh, ever happened before. But you know, as I say, this is 2020, and strange things happen. <laughs> so, what happens with so, all those comments? You have 2,000 well, plus of them. Well, what they've been doing is they've just been reading two hours of them and then cutting them off and then just putting putting the the uh, emails that people send in into the into the uh, journal for the meeting. Mm-hmm. Well, that's been working pretty well, and except they decided Tuesday, no, we're going to the majority, meaning Lisa Clancy, the chair, and the the Democratic majority said, no, we're going to read them all. Well, I thought they would just uh, cut them off after a while, but no, they've been going on and on. So on Tuesday, they read them for four hours. Uh, yesterday, Wednesday, they read them for six hours. Today, they read them for an hour and a, and a half. So out of the 2,230, they've read about 500, and they've got 1,730 to go. And, of course, the next meeting is going to be on Tuesday, so I don't know what they're going to be doing. I would imagine at some point tomorrow they're going to have to cut them off. No kidding. That's a lot of comments. So have you been streaming and watching these comments? I've been listening to them, some of them, a lot of them, but at the same time it gets they're repetitious. You know, they're, they're almost the same, you know, almost word for word. Uh, the people who are opposing uh, the bills keep saying that they're opposing, uh, politicizing uh, health policy. And, I mean, you keep hearing that over and over again. We should not have the politicization of health care policy. And, of course, that's not what this is about, but that's, you know, that's kind of what the, uh, that's kind of what the county executive and uh, the people that are against the bills have been sending out. You know, you see this sometimes when there's drive for public comment, and it's basically a boilerplate letter, and then you sign your name at the bottom, and they're represented as each as unique comments, but they're really not unique comments. So, is that a lot of what's going on? Is there some sort of boilerplate, whatever that people have attached their name to? Yes, there is, and you know, it's like after at Tuesday's uh, at Tuesday's meeting, Councilmember Fish said, you know, we have a pretty good represent representative sample of you know of for and against. And he said, it's been pretty well even, you know, what's the point of going on? But yet they decided they wanted to keep going. And that's what's been happening. And uh, they start back tomorrow at 2 o'clock, reading them some more. Wow. This is not something I'm guessing you look forward to. Or do you? Is this right up your wheelhouse? No, I, I, I listen. You know, I, I, I have it on. I can listen on the telephone and, and while I'm working. But, again, it's not you're not learning anything. It's just it's the same repetition all, all, all the time. And, uh uh, again, I, I don't understand the. Uh, I don't understand why they keep going. But part of it, one of the reasons everybody thinks is that one of the Democrats, uh, who's been part of the majority, Rita Days, uh, she has been joining with Republicans on occasion, and on this one, she's joining with them. And they're. Uh, I think the feeling is that if they filibuster this long enough, uh, they can maybe pressure her to change her change her vote, but. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it certainly is unusual to see a filibuster using public comments. You know, usually your filibuster is done by by the representatives of a, of a governing body. Filibuster via public comment. So then the question uh, lies in: Was this a greater strategy? So orchestrated strategy in order to do this. And part of the other question is the power struggle that we continue to see in the county. So should there be some sort of uh, availability of the county council for them to weigh in on some of these issues, or is it Sam Page alone that has the ability to do this without being questioned when it came to the funding of you know this COVID millions and millions of dollars of COVID funding? So a lot of it has to do with power struggle. And from what I understand recently. 
there's been some recommendations in the county that have specifically recommended that they include the council as opposed to uh, just skip over them. So that's a good sign. More people want to see a balance there. They don't want to see one person dictate over everything. Well, that's exactly what the audit came out and said. You know, everybody thought it was just going to say, oh, it's all Steve Stinger's fault. Well, he, of course, was the main culprit. But then the state auditor said if the county council was doing his job uh, as part of the checks and balances, then Steve Stinger might not have been able to get away with what he did. And, of course, who was the chair of the uh, county council at the time? Sam Page. The auditor also said, well, you have to have a, a county auditor that's capable of auditing, which, of course, they don't have and who was the one who insisted that they hire this particular auditor. Uh, again, this was, this was Sam Page. So it doesn't seem like they're learning over there from, what's been, uh, from what the past has been. And certainly the council, if, if, the, if the purpose is to build confidence back in the county government, uh, this is certainly not the way to go about it. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because when I go back and listen to when this first became a deal, and if I remember this correctly, one of the main defenses of Steve Stanger when he was still in office was, hey, this was all in the proposal and contract. You just didn't read the fine print. It's not my fault you didn't read the fine print. So whose job was it to see the fine print? Would that have been Sam Page's job at the time? Oh, yeah. You know, the, let's go back to the to the most controversial thing was the Northwest leases. That exactly, yeah. in- 10 or $20 million beyond what they should. And, uh, you know, every, again, Steve Stinger is the main culprit, but the county council approved it. There's only one vote, only one, one council member that didn't vote for it. Not only did Sam Page vote for it, he said it's a great value for uh, St. Louis County. Hazel Irby was on the council at the time. She said she fell in love with the project. So uh, this is where you have council members that are not really uh, doing their job. And, and Steve Stinger was correct. It was all approved. That's sad. <laughs> I hate seeing this <laughs> of all these things. But hey, in the end, one of which uh, of all the names, uh, Steve Stanger is the one that's still in federal prison right now. So that needs to be reminded that there was a lot of other things going on during that administration investigated by the feds. I mean, there's it's and rightfully so. He deserved to be punished for that. And oh. too bad that he's getting off easy on all of this. No doubt about it. As, as we've discussed before, there's uh, you know there's a lot of things that, that we just don't know, and and it's kind of surprising that they let it end where it did. But uh, for whatever reasons, uh, they did. All right, Tom Sullivan. I don't know how much time you've been listening to County Council public remarks, but it's enough to drive anyone crazy. I don't know how you're still doing it. Oh, it's uh, you know I've gotten used to it after a while, and you know you, you learn to do two things at the same time. <laughs> Tom Sullivan, thank you so much for explaining this for us. We're coming on tonight on Overnight America. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ryan. And he joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. It's Overnight America, KMOX. St. Louis's traffic station, KMOX. And Overnight America has a very special guest that's going to join us in about 12 minutes from now. Dr. Gerald Lamaro, uh, Lamero, Gerald Lamero. He's a political analyst and expert when it comes to forecasting uh, models, as in what does the polls say and what do the polls really say? Uh, he's going to talk about the 2020 race and his predictions of what he's seen so far. does a pretty good job predicting these things, so it might be uh, interesting to see what he thinks about all of this. Might as well tell you this quick story because we only have a little bit of time. Yeah, you know, I was going to talk about maybe what's going on here with COVID-19, Governor Parson talking about the plan that's been submitted to the CDC and trying to get things up to date and ready for 
the uh, eventuality that we will have a vaccine and how it's going to be distributed. President Trump even mentioned that the military could be used to try to distribute that and get that out as fast as possible, which is not a bad idea. Uh, U.S. Attorney General Barr in St. Louis talking about homicides being down and you even heard in our newscast here where Louis Reed, Aldermake president here in St. Louis was able to commend him and say it's it's working. This is great news. This Operation Legend has been making a difference. We were out, of, I mean, spiraling and still are out of control with the homicides that continue to rise, but it's nowhere near at the same pace it was over the summer. So uh, we'll we'll talk about that later in the show too. Dan Valone in about a half hour. Well, no, I'll take that back. About forty five minutes from now. U.S. Director for the More in Common. What are those things we have in common? I wanted to, um, I didn't even know this was a thing. So if there's any car guys listening right now, maybe you can call in and help me understand this. Uh, 314-436-7900. So I had to do some work on my car. It was time to get the new registrations in or whatever. Um, So I'm I'm trying to make sure these things are going to go fine. And I needed to get a couple of things done. So I took it into the shop. And they quoted me, and they said, okay, uh, this is how much it's going to cost to fix what I thought was a pretty simple thing. And the one place I went to, whew, over $900 to fix this. And I said, you're out of your tree. So I looked it up online. I could buy the parts for $50, so I did. I spent about $30 in tools, well, $40 in tools, and I had it shipped to my house. And I did the repair myself just uh, last Friday was listening to the Rush Limbaugh interview where he had President Trump on. It took me a little over four hours, but I was able to repair this on my car. So I bring it back into the shop, get it inspected, see if everything looks good. And while I was there waiting inside of the shop, a dude came in, walks in, and he says, I need to price some tires, which is not out of the ordinary when you walk into a shop. So he's talking to the guy and he says, I need tires that could go 210 miles an hour. And I started trying to figure out, did, did, wait, did he mean, no, he, he certainly he didn't mean tires that are rated to go over 200 miles an hour. And I look outside and he's got this SUV. And the guy behind the counter didn't blink at it. He said, oh boy, I don't think we have, we don't offer much in that range, but let me take a look. I'll see what I can find, what's recommended by the manufacturer, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And the dude's asking, how do I... He wants a tire that's safe to go over 200 miles an hour. And the first thing I thought was, he's got to drive down 70 a lot. And (laughs) I'm sure he wants to keep up with the flow of traffic on 70. But 200? What? I didn't even know they made those things. Are there any car guys can try to explain this to me? Is that a thing with tires? Some of them are rated to go that fast? You think like race car tires... I've known some people that have been on the racetrack. You know, you have monster trucks that have their own special tire. I've met monster truck drivers that buy their big, bulky, giant tire, and they say to save money, it just comes unmolded. Like, they just give you a big piece of rubber, basically. And you you take a chisel, and you chisel out your treads on these things. They say they save a lot of money doing that. I've met dirt track racers. they got special type of tires for dirt track racing. Okay, that's one thing. Off-roaders, you got to get a special off-road tire because you're going to be hitting a lot of, you know, sticks and rocks and who knows what. So you got to have a tough, tough tire. But if you're just driving over the interstate or around town or whatever it is, who's getting tires that are rated to go 200 miles an hour? I've never heard that before. Not that 
I haven't experienced here in St. Louis that you see things like that. And is, is it likely his car can even go that fast? What happens when you try to push a car like that? He's going to blow whatever in his engine, and it's going to just clunk out. You're lucky you kill yourself trying to go that fast. But how many of you have been driving through St. Louis long enough to realize that that's what some people do? How do you even get your vehicle to safely get to that point? Because one wrong move. I mean, you could just one little itsy-bitsy move. One person shifts lanes when you're not expecting it. A pothole or something on the road, debris. Or maybe you just, eh, you, you inch it just a little bit too much. Your, 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 your arm just has a little muscle reflex. Boom, you're done. You're flipping over. You're hitting the median. You're killing yourself and your passengers and who knows the people around you too. That's crazy talk. If you're working at one of these shops, why would you even say to the person, oh yeah, I can try to find you tires that could rate you to go over 200? Why even do that? Why even try to facilitate people like that? I don't get it. Maybe there's another reason for it. Maybe there's another motivation that I'm not thinking about. But I'm sure there's some car guys listening right now that might be able to help me with this. True car guys. Uh, 314-436-7900. And I wouldn't call myself a car guy if you tried to walk me through a vehicle and tried to impress me with everything that's on it. I wouldn't understand the lingo. I, I do understand if someone says I had to replace this part or this is what I did over here. And, you know, I, I'm more or less like a red-green when it comes to car repair. Like the, uh, on my bumper, we got two vehicles in the house. On my bumper, one of the little plastic pins snapped. So there's like these little, I guess they're not really pins, but there's like little plastic holders that kind of like snap into the frame. And once they bend and you can't get them back in, it's a pain to order. I don't want to spend a bunch of money to order a bunch of these little plastic clips. Why would I do that? So I just use zip ties. So, you know, the front of my bumper, so it doesn't sag so much. I just got a zip tie that matches the color of my bumper and do boom, it's fine. It's actually probably safer than what those little pins would have offered. You're a so tightwad. No, I'm more practical. I wouldn't say I'm a tightwad. I'm just practical and I'm thrifty. And I'm smart with my money. <laughs> You're a tightwad. No, I'm very smart with my money. I, I, I'm not the only one that uses duct tape and zip ties when, just keep in mind, that'll do the job a lot of times. I mean, an awful lot of times. So I guess no car guys out there. You know, if, if you do have an answer for that, you can text in. It would really help me to understand 314-436-7900. So that's pretty simple. All right, so what we're going to do is we might as well go to break. I, I want to spend as much time as I can with Dr. Gerald Lamero, and he's what has been called the Notre Dameus of political elections. So I'm going to talk to his history, how many he's got right, how many he's got wrong, things that have surprised him. But in general, I just want to know what's going to happen in this 2020 election. What does he think is going to happen? If we look at just the straight polling between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden's doing very good, at least in the polls that are made available. Internal polling could be a whole different story. Some people say, hey, in election year, the models show Donald Trump has a huge advantage. But right now, it's not showing that. This whole COVID has thrown everything uh, around, even though it's not Donald's Trump that COVID exists. Everything was smooth sailing up until that point. I mean, the economy was booming. People were happy. It seemed like a mute point. But here we are today. Things look a lot more difficult for the president when it comes to re-election. But is that the way the doctor sees it? So we'll talk to him next on Overnight America KMOX. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast news radio 1120 kmox the voice of the cardinals Joining us now is a author, a political analyst. Some people have called him the Notre Dame of political elections. I kind of like that term. It sounds pretty neat. His latest book is called Real World Socialism. Dr. Gerald DeMauro, thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Oh, it's great to be with you. I so like you, St. Uh, Louis. I like oh, St. Louis. I've been on St. Louis radio at least 100 times, so I like it. Wow, you're keeping uh, tabs. That's kind of neat. I, uh, I track everything in a database, believe it or not. I'm a numbers guy. So you have a spreadsheet of all the places you've had interviews? No, I have a database. Database. Oh, you got that's even, more that's even fancier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all, yeah it, it does sound easy. better. Yeah, <laughs> Make it hard on yourself. All right, so I, it's interesting because we watched the polling, and you were recommended by a listener of ours. They said, oh, you got to reach out to the doctor. He knows what he's talking about. Talk about when it comes to you know the election and trying to predict where things are going. And we know in 2016 the projections failed big time. I mean, they were looking at a 90-plus percent chance that Hillary Clinton was going to take this thing, and then all of a sudden as the election results came in that night, oh, there goes uh, Ohio, there goes Michigan, there goes Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, and then you thought, wow, how about that? Donald Trump's going to win this thing. How could they have got it so wrong? So um, I wanted to kind of talk about in the past some of the different political elections that you have tracked and some of the um, different project, uh, projections and the predictions you've made that have came out in your favor, and then if there's any that haven't come out in your favor. Well, uh, well, I'll start with the, the most recent presidential one. 2016, I correctly predicted, and by the way, I forecast by state. I correctly predicted every state Trump carried, I predicted he would carry. So I had him winning in the Electoral College, and he did. And uh, I said that actually long before the election, but right up until the election, I did not change my mind because my forecast model stayed the same. 
2016 came around, very few were saying that. Um, I think some people were hopeful. They were hoping that it was true, but I think a lot of people conceded to the idea that Hillary Clinton was going to take this thing. So yeah, that's why, the way it was. Yeah, so when you go state by state, what are those landmark statistics or things that you're looking for in order to make a prediction? I'll give you the fast answer. I actually wrote a book about it called More Great News for America that answered that question in detail, but I'll give you kind of the quick look. I look at the key variables that pollsters don't look at. Pollsters basically make 1,000 or 1,500 calls. They superimpose it on their model of the country and, and on the electorate, and then they draw conclusions. But they're taking only 1,500 pieces of data and putting it on basically 130 million people that vote. I do it totally differently. I look at things like registration statistics. How many new registrations do you have in a state for one person? one party or the other party, things like that. I look at voter intensity. Voter intensity is something I pioneered. It's the probability that someone who says they're going to vote for, say, Hillary Clinton in the election actually follows through and votes for Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Turns out her voter intensity was very low. People did not follow through, and uh, she couldn't get her people out. Whereas Trump was then, and this time even more so, highly has a high voter intensity. People who are for him will go out in a rainstorm, a snowstorm, a hurricane. They'll do almost anything to vote for him. Mm-hmm. So those this numbers is, make a big difference. What, how does uh, mail-in voting change some of those numbers this year? Well, actually, it doesn't change, um, it doesn't change the, how people feel or the trends. What it does is gives up an opportunity for people to vote differently. And where it might help Biden is the fact that it's easier for people to vote, uh, in theory, and if they're not that keen on him anyway, you know, they're low voter intensity, he may get a few more people voting for him than he would if they didn't have that opportunity, because you don't have to go through a rainstorm or snowstorm. You can vote a month ahead or in some cases, even maybe the actual day of the election or maybe even the day after. I think some states allow, you know, email, not email, mail to come in a little bit late. Yeah, and I'm wondering, too, where the mail-in voting is going to be most popular as if there were areas that it's, it still wouldn't really move the needle and change a candidate uh, in some of those states, so like let's say California, for example, I mean you could have a, a million extra people vote by mail in California, but really it doesn't matter in the end because California is almost always a guarantee, at least for the blue side, uh, at least in modern era. So yeah, it's interesting when you look at a lot of people wondering how mail in voting is going to change things because not only are they wondering if it's going to be a determining factor this year, but the other thing is. Um, they're looking at the integrity of the election and how that's going to play in after, if there's going to be some sort of debate or some contention after the fact. So that right. there's so many we wild have, cards. We have a lot of data. Let me give you an example. The 25th Congressional District in California in 2018, uh, the incumbent was a Republican, three-term congressperson. And he ran, and on election night, they declared him the winner. However, two or three weeks later, Ballots started appearing and came in, and people said, we've got to count them. They counted them, and guess what? Most of them were for the Democrat, and it turns out that that seat was awarded to the Democrat. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and some people believe that there was fraud involved. I don't know whether or not there was, but that's the kind of thing people worry about. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of things that to worry about, as in uh, what, uh, what's going to happen this year trying to rush these things when there's not really an infrastructure in place to put this on a mass scale like they've been trying to push it. I mean, there could be all kinds of opportunities, just like in New York, where it took them months to try to count all of these ballots for one election. And we're seeing that a, a, at a lot of different places, too. Uh, joining us now is a author, political analyst, expert on forecasting models, Dr. Jared Lamaro, uh, Lamaro, excuse me. And I wanted to ask you about your previous elections that you've looked at, the presidential elections. How long have you been using this model, and how far back does it go? Uh, 76. That's a long time, yeah. In 76, I predicted 49 out of 50 states correctly. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing more or less the same each time. You know, 45 to 50 states correctly. I do it by state because it's not a national election. It is a state-by-state election. You know, for example, uh, Wyoming votes and decides where their electoral votes are going to go. They get three. California gets 53. Florida gets 21. But they're all decided independent of one another. Mm-hmm. They're separate elections, really. Right. Right. So what needs to change? Like, from pretty much can you lock in something now because it's too close to the election? Not much is going to change between now and then? No, there are a lot of things that go into it. I have long-range trends that are about 24 to 36 years long, believe it or not, that influence the election. Then I have intermediate-range trends that last about two to eight years, and then I have short-term trends, anything within two years of an election that can affect it. And I have to modify the model if there is something that changes. Uh, They tend not to change unless something very dramatic were to happen. Like, for example, suppose we got into a war with Korea, this week that might change the election but most yeah. things don't what uh when it comes to these projections you sound almost like uh, noah when it comes to projecting hurricanes and storms and things like that there's so many different actually there's a lot of similarities to weather forecasting and election forecasting forecasting really is done with a whole set of mathematical and statistical techniques and tools and i have a real you know a, a variety of tools i have you know, three degrees, my PhD is in modeling. And I actually have a postdoctoral fellowship from National Science Foundation in modeling as well. So I have a whole range of tools that I can bring to bear on the problem, and I do. When you predicted Donald Trump to win the 2016 election, I'm sure you got right. a lot of people that laughed at that. But you were oh, coming they did. At it. They did. Yeah. Statistically speaking, you were coming at it, and you felt like a your level of confidence, if you were to try to put the way you felt in 2016, the level of confidence you had there versus the prediction you're going to make here for 2020, your level of confidence, is it the same level of confidence or is this, is it a little bit less? No, it's actually a little bit more. It oh. looks oh. like, uh, it looks to me like Trump's going to win by a larger margin. And it looks to me like the voter turnout is going to be higher than the last election. So it looks to me like it's real solid for Trump. Okay. So a higher turnout and what individual states do you see could be in play this year that may change from ways that they voted in 2016? That's a great question. Believe it or not, New York State. There are an awful lot of voters in New York State that are really angry with the way Cuomo handled uh, the lockdown and putting people in nursing homes and a lot of people dying, their relatives dying, and a lot of people are mad at de Blasio in New York. 
And uh, it's incredible. That city has suffered a lot. The rioting, the looting, all the restaurants have been shut down completely for a long time. Broadway is closed. And people are just plain angry. A lot of them are moving out, but some of them are voting Republican. You know what I've seen in people that live in New York? That What they'll do is they'll walk down the street and they'll show vandalism, and then they'll show people and businesses that have just abandoned their storefront. And they're talking about how there could be a giant crash when it comes to commercial real estate there because people are just so uncertain uh, what's going to happen when it comes to the government? Why even bother starting a business, opening up, or why why even bother if they, if they don't think that uh, they're going to have customers coming in because of all the lockdowns? Uh, there's so many people, and it's not just individuals living there. Business owners are leaving. They're tired with it. So, yeah, You're New right. York's going through some really, really tough times right now, and that cannot be understated. Right, and that's why that state is actually in play, although I still think it'll probably go, uh, in my model, it still goes for Biden. But um, it is in play in the sense that a swing of another two, three, four percent could put it over on Trump. And usually New York has nowhere as close to that opportunity for a Republican candidate. They always talk about Ohio being one of the determining factors when it comes to winning the White House, which way Ohio votes. And last time they voted Trump. uh, How do you see him going this year? It's going to be stronger for Trump than last time. He's going to carry it. Stronger, even. I mean, there were some yeah. tough narrows. Them in Michigan had some pretty tough ones. Michigan had an extremely tough narrow uh, margin between the two votes. So if you look at Ohio, how about Michigan? How does that one look? It's going uh, Republican. And also wow. the Senate there, the Democrat senator is going to lose. So the Republicans will pick up one Senate seat. He's a really articulate uh, conservative that turns people on. He's going to win that election. And up the, the Republican count in the Senate. They're going to pick up one seat. Wow. Okay, so you're also tracking Congress and Senate, and you're looking at some of the open and vulnerable seats there, too. Yeah, I do. Wow. Okay, can we talk about that after the break? That'd be a good thing to look into. Sure. Joining us here is an author, and his new book is called Real World Socialism, Spiritual, Moral, and Economic Bankruptcy. He's an expert when it comes to forecasting election models, just like he did in 2016, and talking about his predictions here in 2020. Dr. Gerald Lamaro. We're going to continue our conversation with him next on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And Overnight America continues with our guest. He's got a new book, Real World Socialism, Spiritual, Moral, and Economic Bankruptcy. He's uh, been great when it comes to forecasting elections. He's a political analyst. Dr. Gerald Lamero, thank you again for coming on to KMOX. Oh, I'm happy to be on with you. I, you know, I, uh, hopefully I'm not driving you nuts if I mispronounce your name. It's, it's Lamero, right? Lamero, right. Yeah, that's yeah, I, okay. I, People mistake it I know. it's a hard name to pronounce. I do it all the time. And right before we went to break, I said it wrong, and I thought, oh, I can't believe I did that. So he's going to sit there and wait a couple of minutes for us to pick up the interview, and I had to correct it. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It really is okay. Yeah, so I wanted to look to, we looked at the presidential election. Your forecasting on that shows that Donald Trump will be reelected. Now, when it comes to congressional seats and the Senate seats, when you're looking at some of those vulnerable ones there, I think the big one is the Senate. So right now the Republicans have a narrow margin of seats in the Senate. What do you think is going to happen after this election? Do you think they'll have more or less or the same? Well, I, I, I tried to say that before the break, and that is the Senate will have one more 
Republican senator uh, after the election. They're not going to lose any of the others. Wow. So they're going to gain one. That would be huge if that was the yeah, turnout in that gain sense. Of one. It'll be John James will be the new senator from the state of Michigan. And that's the one that looks most likely to happen. You know, by the way, in 2000, well, I guess not 16, but just a couple of years ago, here in Missouri, we had Claire McCaskill. And I remember. A lot, a lot of I people thought that, hey. That she was going to go. You thought you could, I was going to ask you what your prediction was I on her. So Josh, Josh Hawley would get it. Yeah. And what was your reasoning for Josh Hawley? What made you believe he was going to unseat uh, Claire McCaskill? Well, I don't recall the numbers from then, but basically uh, my trends lined up in her, his direction, and it seemed like he was calling things right, and, and I had a, a, pul- a good pulse on the people and what they were looking for, and it turned out correct. And what about in the, uh, in the House? So right now the Democrats have a lead in the House. Uh, what do you think about that side? Is there going to be any well, changing Yeah, let's go back to 2018 before I tell you the answer to 2020. 2018, the Republican Party, and I'm talking about the voters in the Republican Party, were very upset with many incumbent House members who said they were conservative but did not act conservative and would not support President Trump. And a lot of Republicans sat out 2018, and districts that had gone, congressional districts that had gone for Donald Trump in 2016, they lost to Democrats. So a lot of those are basically conservative Republican voting districts that are going to put back a Republican. So I'm predicting now the House will flip back to Republican. Nancy Pelosi will no longer be the speaker, and Republicans will have a five to eight seat majority. Oh, really? Yeah. That's going to go even further that way. Wow. These are some really bold predictions. You know, in 2016, you you could have said these things about Donald Trump and everyone would say, yeah, right. But when you say these things now, when you see all of these different flips and you see these changes in the House and the Senate and adding an extra seat in the Senate and all of these, people are probably also uh, second guessing your predictions on things like this. Sure, they do, and that's fine. I don't mind. I mean, I do it, and people don't have to agree with me. There's some other uh, predictions I've made I'll mention, too, that came true. I predicted in 2016 that Donald Trump would name three congressional or three constitutional conservatives to the Supreme Court during his first term. That's about to happen. He's already named two, and Amy's going to pass in the next yeah. week or so. So that prediction will come true. Uh, another prediction... I made, uh, this is about a year and a half ago, is that socialism would be the number one issue of this campaign. And I think it really is. You know, the Democrats have moved totally toward a socialist agenda, their policies, Medicare for all, everything for all, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and Donald Trump has come out, even now, I heard him say it uh, in the last week, he said, I will not allow this country to become socialist. And so they're sort of like the pro-socialist voters and the anti-socialist voters. Mm. And Trump gets the anti-socialist voters. Yeah, that's interesting. Here in uh, St. Louis, we have a congressional... that's why I wrote the book. I wrote yeah, the book, Real World, the Real World Socialism. I knew it was going to be the big issue. And you always want to write a book that's relevant. <laughs> no, um, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but I, I want to mention that. And just But one other thing, when it came to St. Louis, we have a congressional seat here that was held by uh, Lacey Clay. He was someone that kind of a dynasty in a sense where his dad held the seat. He held it for so long, for decades. And then during the primary, he ended up losing to 
Cori Bush. She is the now Democrat challenger in the general election, running up against an Anthony Rogers for the Republican Party. Um, do you have any predictions of what could be happening in that first uh, congressional you seat in Missouri? Asked, you should have asked that to me ahead of time I came to on tell you to look so at it. Yeah, I know. My numbers. <laughs> I don't know in the top of my head. I, All right. I, you know, there's so many House races, it's hard to memorize every last one of them. Oh, I understand. So I have to do some research. You can call me back next week, and I'll tell you. Okay, that sounds like a good plan. All right, so Real World Socialism, that's your latest book. And right. you talk about, the, uh, in, it just um, in general, you, you kind of gave a hint to what's in this book, but it being a big indicator of how it may impact voting trends for this year. So Real World Socialism, uh, what do you cover in this one? In the book? In the book, yeah. Yeah, in the book, well, I felt that socialism, Socialism was going to be the key issue in this election, and I decided most people don't know anything about it, so I need to kind of write a primer on what is this all about. What are they voting for, or what are they voting against? So I went and I studied all the instances of socialism I could find in the last 300 years, although some writings like Plato sound a little bit socialist that are back in history, and I put down my composite of what socialism really is. There are all sorts of variations. There's Christian socialism, democratic socialism, designer socialism, on and on and on. And so I put together a chapter there about what really is socialism, because there's variations, and what all of them have in common. And then I went through and gave all the thinkers who have thought about socialism and written about it and, and gave the, the summary of what they were thinking. And then I gave example after example of how it was implemented and how it worked. And uh, what I found was, uh, very surprisingly, that almost everybody who started socialism is atheist. Karl Marx was. Karl Marx, by the way, was the grandson of a famous rab rabbi in the Jewish faith, but he rejected uh, his Jewish faith, and was an atheist. And it turns out a lot of other people who started socialist experiments were atheists. Hmm. And I put in there all the examples and all the arguments they give for socialism and the arguments I would attack socialism with. So if you have to debate somebody on socialism, this is the book, because it gives you every argument for and against. And it, they're laid out clearly because I'm an organized guy. Anybody <laughs> has a database on his shows is organized. <laughs> Dr. Gerald Lamero in your new book, I'm sure they can find online. Do you have a website people can check out? Yeah, sure. Greatnewsforamerica.com. That's all one word. Greatnewsforamerica.com. I do usually one article, new article a week. And the website has about 230 uh, web pages, believe it or not, I've written a lot. And uh, all my six books are listed there. And of course, you can buy them on Amazon or from any bookstore. Perfect. And yeah, we will have to get you back on in maybe a little bit closer in a few weeks and see if anything's changed with your projections. As you are an expert on forecasting models, and you're calling it again for Donald Trump in 2020 based on your forecasting, Dr. Gerald Lamero, I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. You bet. I loved it. I enjoyed it. You're a nice host. Very nice person to work with. <laughs> Thank you very much. And there are statistics on that, too. I am very much a, a oh, nice good. host. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I was right. I picked up the trend right away. <laughs> Dr. Lamero joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. Very cool. All right. That, we got a text message. Uh, bringing you some comfort tonight. Some listeners like to hear that Donald Trump will win according to the prediction. It's Overnight America, KMOX.
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.